Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 96. This is coming to you live from Maui. So that's why it's been a bit of a delay. Going to start off with InfoSec news. Russia has evidently hacked an NSA contractor through his home computer running Kaspersky antivirus software. The contractor evidently brought home extremely sensitive data and put it on his home system. And then the Russians were able to access that data through some sort of backdoor or access method in the Russian AV software. There's actually been a uh, update to this story since I uh, wrote that text, which basically says that Israel and the Mossad have basically hacked Kaspersky and confirmed this back in like 2014. I, I think I read that right, 2014, and um, had told the NSA this. And that's why the NSA had warned everyone that uh, this was the case, that you shouldn't trust Kaspersky. And um, I've actually written a couple things about Russians here multiple times, basically hacking us and stuff like that. And, and I get mail. I get a lot of mail that's like, why do you blame everything on Russia? Like that's part of some liberal bias or slant or conspiracy theory. And it's, it's really fascinating to me why someone would not believe that Russia is doing this when it's clearly in their interest to do it. They clearly have stated their desire to do it. Um, and there's so much information coming from so many different angles telling us that they are actually doing this. They are actually interfering in our elections. They, they're trying to sow dissent through social media. Uh, <clears throat> they're, they're hacking our intelligence systems, um, you know, our critical infrastructure. I mean, this is just... It should be obvious. It should be obvious and obviously a good idea for them, right? So it's it's not a political issue to say that Russia is trying to hack us and is hacking us. And the idea that Kaspersky, which is a company founded by someone who went to a school, which I believe had some tie to the FSB in the first place, um, that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. But I think a great point was made on a Risky Business uh, podcast, which was, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if they were inherently evil from the beginning, right? Um, wh what matters is that they are a Russian company, and Russia is a, is a singular uh, sort of command-type system, right? You, you, you have... Putin, who can just say and do anything. And if that means getting a backdoor into a piece of Russian software that is running on many, many American systems or European systems or whatever, 
then that's going to happen, right? You can't say no to that. So the fact that if you're running that software, it's just a bad idea. But this evidence from Israel is really making people uh, pay attention. And uh, I really wish that most people, uh, especially uh, my readers or people who listen to this, would not take offense to ideas such that are so obvious, such as Russia wants to hack us and is hacking us. This is not a um, <laughs> this is not some sort of political uh, slant uh, talking about the election that's over and passed and done with. Um, we need to be ready for next time. And it won't necessarily be, you know, against the Democrats or for the Republicans next time, right? It, those those um, sort of incentives, it, they're always going to be pro-Russian. They're not necessarily going to be pro or con against a particular party on our side. So I just want to get that out there. Uh, Russia is hacking us. If you don't believe that, then... Uh, then you're, you're definitely missing something very obvious, in, in my opinion. Uh, Discuss has had some sort of breach, and emails and password hashes have been released. The data is have I been owned, and there's a write-up on uh, the blog about it. Same routine, basically, change your password, and if it was shared, you should change it in the other places too. But really, you should not be sharing passwords, right? You should be using a password system of some sort, whether that's a scheme or a password manager. A piece of shared vulnerable code in Trend Micro software allows for RCE on many of its products. And this is kind of the risk of using shared components, right? If it's vulnerable in one place, it's potentially vulnerable wherever you use it. Uh, the Yahoo breach from last year actually affected all 3 billion accounts. Uh, Brian Krebs has uncovered how to find someone's salary history using someone's SSN and DOB. And both of these were actually leaked in the Equifax breach. So could be that someone with your data could find out not only do things in your name, but also find out your whole salary history. Alex Stamos continues to be a beacon of rational ethics, in my opinion, with the InfoSec community. Uh, he's evidently now hunting down the Russian influence stuff within his entire platform, uh, which is Facebook. And uh, honestly, to me, having him in charge of security at Facebook makes me feel infinitely better about the service in general, even though I'm not a huge fan of the service. HPE evidently let Russia have access to the source code for ArcSight so they could do a air quotes security review. I'm guessing this was approved long before all this Facebook influence stuff came out um, and definitely before the Kaspersky influence stuff came out. And they probably now regret that decision to give them access to ArcSight. I think uh, the use of ArcSight is probably coming down quite a bit, so hopefully that'll lower the attack surface or attack opportunity for um, anyone who's planning to use that for a, an entry point. And Google is releasing a separate security bulletin going forward just for Pixel and Nexus. So they'll still have the regular Android one, 
they're going to have a dedicated one for their own devices, which I think is pretty cool. And patching, there's a bunch of WordPress plugins that are vulnerable uh, through a vulnerable shared component in PHP. Um, bunch of updates to Android for the monthly Android update, uh, which you should apply, uh, assuming you can. And um, a software DNS mask has had uh, a number of vulnerabilities, which you can do remotely just by having access to the system that's processing your uh, DHCP or DNS. So you need to get that software updated too. And it's also in a lot of routers. So you want to try and update whatever router you have if it's using that. Technology news. Google has released updated Pixel devices, an updated Google Home device, and Pixel Buds. Um, I hear they're all, they also released um, actually glasses. So similar to you know, what they did before, but uh, updated and better. Um, so basically, AI is somewhat helping you take pictures. Um, it's deciding when, when a good opportunity would be to take a picture. Um, not fully uh, sure exactly what that product looks like, but it's like an uh, updated version of their earlier uh, glasses. But that is in conjunction with, you know, the home devices, the, the Pixel Buds, which is an earphone competitor of AirPods that can do real-time translation of multiple languages. So we're starting to see, I think, a compelling story around all of the Google devices. Um, their Google Assistant is, is just fantastic. Uh, I mean, I understand it works way better than Siri, um, it, at least in terms of, you know, it, it being able to respond and do lots of different things because, you know, search is what Google is good at. And um, yeah, I hear it's just a, a pretty strong set of products. Um, and when you combine this real-time translation of, of language, I think that is a killer feature. And if you, they can link that in some way to the glasses, um, I, I mean, I, I've always thought that a, a really powerful um, feature for language would be glasses plus microphone plus AI. So imagine that you're wearing a set of glasses and you know people are speaking all around you in Chinese or whatever language and you don't speak Chinese and you're simply seeing the text translation of what the microphone is hearing. I think there are great ways to do this um, UI and UX wise. I don't think it could be that hard you know, it, it's like UDP, right? It could fail sometimes. You could miss some packets for like a UDP voice conversation and it just picks up where it left off and you could sort of string things together, right? You combine that with like tone and body language and stuff like that. You're going to be a, be able to pick up a lot of, of meaning, right? So if you're just flashing words in front of these, these uh, glasses, I, I think that could be a really compelling sort of language app. And it, it sounds like if Google has the glasses, they obviously have the microphones, they have the Google Assistant. Now they have these earphones. Um, I, I think this could just be a really powerful combination. Now that now the earbuds, of course, they speak into your ear, uh, obviously. So I think the person has to speak into the phone. 
right? So you, you basically present the phone, they speak into the phone, and then in your ear, you get the translation. So that's a little bit clunky if that's the way it's going to permanently work. But like I said, I think this other vision of it is uh, going to be happening soon. Netflix is raising the cost of two of its plans. The premium plan that gives you 4K and four streams is moving from $11.99 to $13.99. And the mid-tier plan is going from $9.99 to $10.99. And DJI, the Chinese drone maker, has launched a privacy mode for its drones so that they can be used in sensitive environments. The setting will stop drones from sending or receiving any data over over the internet while in that mode. So this is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've read a couple books, uh, some fiction, some nonfiction about drones, and uh, th this whole space is getting crazy, right? Where, where you can't disrupt a drone with RF, uh, potentially, because it's not receiving any any signals. I'm not sure they're getting to that point uh, with these drones in terms of like autonomy, but uh, but not sending data out or receiving data. Uh, they they actually call it, I think, local storage mode, LSM, I think, uh, is what they're doing on these DJI systems. So it's like it's all being stored locally. And, of course, the crazy thing about drones is what happens when you don't have to control it? What happens when you could just give it maps and say, you know, this is the target. Go and surveil them or go and do something worse than surveillance to them. But they can go travel to the location find the, the target, and then um, do whatever they need to do, and then come back, and you didn't have to send any radio data. So not only is the radio data not trackable to find the, the source of the attack, but there's also less of a way to disrupt it. You still have kinetic sort of ways to disrupt it, right? You can like, um, <laughs> my friend uh, Dan Tentler was talking about hitting things with, uh, hitting drones with, like uh, rolls of toilet paper. He's basically saying that for years he's been saying uh, uh, these things are fragile, right? You could just hit them and knock them over. Um, you've got like eagles that can like swoop in, uh, falcons or whatever, take them out of the sky, or shotguns, whatever. There's There are some countermeasures, but uh, it's definitely a lot harder to do this electronically if they're not relying on RF to do their job. Human news, it appears that livestock is an even bigger part of climate change than man thought it was. Man thought it was? That's a weird sentence. Um, yeah, that, that's a weird sentence. Uh, new studies sponsored by NASA have shown that increases in methane gas from livestock could be contributing massively to greenhouse gases that are trapping heat. So basically man-made I mean, it's still man-made in the sense that we keep growing livestock, right? So this is a problem that we want to eat meat. So that's a, a man-made problem. Um, when are we going to switch to human-made instead of man-made? I guess it's okay if they're the bad guy, right? Um, seems a little bit uh, archaic. but um, So we're growing more livestock to feed a growing population. Um, but it's nature made in the sense that it came from an animal and it's actually, it turns out that methane is extremely, uh, powerful 
in trapping heat. I think I think you said it was multiple times more powerful than CO two. Don't hold me to that. I'm not sure about that, but um, at least as harmful as CO two for trapping heat, and that's the whole thing with climate change is is trapping heat. So basically, and I think a lot of people on the right have been saying this for for a long time that you know it's actually animals. It's not humans that are doing this. It's actually animals, but that's kind of ignoring the fact that humans are the ones creating all these animals for their own purposes, namely to eat meat and to have, you know, milk, the dairy industry. So, um, oh, they also said that uh, there's two separate causes, right? There's the uh, intestinal cause of the methane, which is basically cow farts. And then there are, um, I guess, in the waste, in the manure, so the manure is still active and it's still giving off uh, methane. And what they said was that their calculations, their models, were something like 10% off or 8% off or something for the intestinal one and maybe up to like 30% off for the manure stuff. So basically they're saying that there could be a massive amount more heat uh, trapping effect going on here from this whole industry, uh, both meat and dairy, I think basically livestock than they previously understood. So interesting developments and discussion there anyway. Teenagers are chronically sleep deprived and early school start times are a major factor. Um, so I've been reading stuff about this for a long time. I'm not sure how locked in this is, but it seems pretty obvious. I think some places they don't start school until really late um, and, and let teenagers and, and really young kids as well sleep in for quite a while. I think that's probably smart. Um, exercise has been confirmed once again as the end-all be-all solution for both mental health and physical health. Basically, this study, a massive study uh, about similar things as, as was studied before, but this one is basically saying that you can improve your mental health, massively improve your physical health, and it actually recommends different uh, amounts of exercise for different age groups. So pretty cool article. And in 2017, we didn't go more than five days without a mass shooting. Um, not sure if that was worldwide or US. I think it might've been worldwide, but five days mass shooting, course that all hinges on what you call mass shooting but either way it's crappy statistic ideas the reason business doesn't take infosec seriously um, I'm gonna go ahead and read this one it's very short um, people tend to like a little bit more length in the podcast so I will go into a couple of ideas here so um, I saw a trend uh, recently uh, and a thread recently that was uh, someone complaining about Dave Kennedy making a hilarious joke on CNN without any of the other participants on the CNN segment knowing. Uh, basically, he made a joke about Trevor and a milkshake, which was an inside joke that happened at DerbyCon. And like uh, there was this big whole thing about it and like everyone thought it was funny at DerbyCon. Well, Dave Kennedy brought it up and mentioned it live on CNN without anyone there knowing. He's like, Oh yeah, I was recently talking about this with my uh, recently deceased 
friend Noah over a milkshake. And I think Trevor was the name of a cockroach that died in a milkshake. It, that's my understanding of what happened at DerbyCon. It's like the biggest event. But uh, anyway, so he made this joke on CNN. And uh, evidently someone on Twitter showed up and said, yeah, that's why no one respects InfoSec. Because, you know, we do dumb things related to cockroaches and milkshakes. We have inside jokes. And we go on CNN and we, you know, talk about that and have a great time. And that's why no one respects us, right? So then this guy in InfoSec named Malware Rick, DA underscore 667, says, um, no, mentioning Trevor on CNN isn't the reason InfoSec isn't taken seriously. It's stuff like CSI Cyber, Scorpion, and Black Hat that are the problems. Only he used some expletives. Um, and I said, actually, the reason InfoSec is not taken seriously is because we can't map risk to money. Until then, we're just scary magicians with attitudes. And then I went on to say, uh, the reason we're not taken seriously by the boardroom and other senior executives is because we cannot translate risk into financial terms. Yes, being hacked is being taken seriously, and they're certainly ready to throw some money at the problem in order to fix it or to look like they're trying, but this isn't the same as respect. Most industries are able to talk about ROI, right? Sales can talk about ROI, marketing can talk about ROI. You have a certain amount of spend and you get a certain amount of return. This is completely missing in information security. And until that changes, we're gonna be considered dirty mages with arcane powers. They'll keep us around, of course, but we won't get to eat with them. Our kids can't date their kids, etc. It's not real business because it's not based on arithmetic. So yeah, we have a bad reputation for being mischievous and you know inside jokes and you know hacker culture or whatever. But that's not actually what's hurting us. Our real obstacle is our inability to have adult conversations about return on investment. Until then, we eat at the kids' table. So that was that piece. Um, then I had this other piece um, about the difference between violence and terrorism. And this is interesting. It came out of the Vegas stuff, uh, of course. And, and people, there was someone on Guardian, actually. There was a writer on The Guardian who basically said that uh, this is absolutely terrorism. And the only reason it's not being called terrorism is because... Uh, the attacker was white. And if the attacker was any other race, this would have been terrorism. So basically went right to racism, which I think is justified in a lot of cases right now, because there is so much racism happening currently. Um, but in this case, it, it simply doesn't apply because there's a, a strong hard line between terrorism uh, and violence. And, and that's what this post was uh, talking about. Um, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read that one as well. Uh, so basically, a lot of people, including this guy writing for The Guardian, are saying it's racist not to call the Vegas gunman a terrorist. The argument is that if this were a black person or a Muslim, they would have been labeled a terrorist immediately. The position is particularly specious, given the amount of racism actually going on right now, as I said before. 
but it's a red herring for a very specific reason. Too many people are confusing terrorism with violence. Most terrorism is violent, but not all violence is terrorism. So here's three major definitions of the word. So the first one is from Oxford Living Dictionary. The unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. <clears throat> Second one here is from Wikipedia. Wikipedia defines it as the use of violence or threat of violence in the pursuit of political aims, religious or ideological change. And the U.S. Code, got to be a better name for that, but the U.S. Code defines it as premeditated, politically motivated violence perpetuated against non-combatant targets by subnational groups or clandestine agents, meaning not of foreign military. So you don't have terrorism just because you have violence. Terrorism is violence with a goal. If there's no goal and no message describing that goal, then it's not terrorism, no matter how horrific the violence is. So the reason Muslim violence is often called terrorism is because Muslims who commit said violence often direct their often directly attribute their actions to their religious beliefs. So when you say Allah Akbar before or while executing bombing, stabbings, or shootings, you're, you're defining that as terrorism because you have an ideology behind the violence. So that's a message. We're doing this in the name of God, and that's a goal, which is to defeat the infidels, basically, and that's terrorism. So if the Vegas shooter had done what he'd done in the name of racism or anti-government, like the Oklahoma bomber, or religion, it would have been terrorism as well, right? So Dylan Roof is a good example because he's absolutely a terrorist because he went and uh, shot up a bunch of black folks in a church uh, somewhere in the South. And uh, he's absolutely a terrorist because he had a racist ideology complete with a manifesto, right? You can't get much more terrorist than that. And his actions were in line with that ideology. And so far, we have nothing like this for the Vegas incident. I mean, what would the Vegas person would have been telling us? Don't listen to country music. Don't go to Vegas. Like, it just doesn't make any sense, right? So we don't see a message. And that means no matter how horrible it was, it cannot be considered terrorism. So the next time this happens and you're inclined to get upset because something is not being labeled terrorism when it should be, ask yourself a simple question. Was there a political goal or message being furthered by the attacker? If not, you just have violence. Doesn't mean it's less bad. Doesn't mean we don't look for a cause. It doesn't mean we don't try to prevent it from happening in the future. Just means we don't have to worry about others doing the same thing under the banner of that same ideology. So that was that one. Um, got this other one, stop calling it identity theft. This one was hilarious. <clears throat> uh, it was a blog post, which I think I linked to here. Um, by someone on Medium basically posted and said, your identity has not been stolen. Actually, the bank's money has been stolen, right? And it's actually, there's a skit of like someone calling the bank and saying, hey, um, I understand that you have lost my money. And the bank says, oh, no, we actually haven't lost your money. What has happened is you've had your identity stolen. And they're like, nope, uh, actually, I have my identity. It's right here. It's fully intact. 
Um, so that's definitely not the problem. I need to get my money out. And the guy's like, well, no, um, you can't get your money out because there is no money because your identity was stolen. So they go back and forth on this. And then um, you hear uh, gunshots in the background. And this person is presumably at the bank. And he's like, oh, oh, crap. Um, and it's like, what, what's the matter? Is the bank being robbed? And he's like, no, no, no. A whole bunch of people are having their identity stolen, <laughs> which is awesome. Um so yeah, this is a good link. You should check it out. Uh, oh yeah, I realized the other day that I'd be okay with putting an Apple or Amazon Assistant device in my home, like Alexa or HomePod, but not similar devices from Google or Facebook. The reason for this is simple. With Apple and Amazon, they want to make your life better and sell you products. And with Google and Facebook, they want to extract more and more information from you because your information is the product. That difference is why I could not at this time put one of the Facebook or Google devices in my house. So thought that was interesting. Uh, expect in-person identity validation service to become a lot more popular. So when everyone's data is compromised, I think it's going to be a lot more common for major transactions to require that an actual notary like an in-person notary validated your identity. So expect becoming a notary, especially these mobile notaries that are popping up, to get a lot more popular, um, as well as fraud, like you know, fake notaries that are just signing fake things. Um, basically validating that someone is someone that they're not. And discovery, a remarkable visualization set of how Americans are divided uh, based on issues uh, versus voting. Uh, the origin and history of Unix, a visualization of the commonality of your birthday. Looks like the big birthdays are actually from conception dates in the holidays. Pretty cool. Uh, it actually shows your exact birthday and then shows uh, from 1 to 365 how popular it is. And it uses a heat map for that. Entropy explained using sheep. This is quite good. Um, the Cognitive Bias Codex. Hacker News Books, a clean display of books mentioned on Hacker News. Awesome AI Security, a project dedicated to adversarial examples against AI. PCAP to curl. Read a packet capture, extract the URLs, and replay them using curl. That is so awesome. Um, I actually did a similar project. It was called source to URL. It would read a source directory, find all URLs, and then replay them through a proxy that you defined. Um, was doing that heavily when I was back at HP doing a bunch of web hacking stuff. And uh, notes. Uh, thanks so much for the feedback on the length of the show. I got almost equal feedback saying it should be longer or shorter. That was frustrating. Um, the open and click metrics were a bit higher for the shorter um, newsletter, actually, which tells me that the format was more consumable for people. Um, I want This is what I've kind of been throwing around, is, is I wonder if the newsletter should be shorter, but the podcast should be longer. Because um, one of the pieces of the feedback that I get is people want on the podcast to hear opinion. They want to hear me sort of talk about different ideas. Um, 
And, and I've also got some feedback that some of the newsletters have gotten too long, but I also got some feedback saying I don't listen to the podcast. So I have to get all the content in the newsletter. Um, but I don't know. I, I tend towards wanting to be, to have more curation. So a, a tighter newsletter and then basically go into deeper content in the podcast like, like I did today um, to talk through a few issues. And I can actually read a couple of the short essays. I, I think that'd probably be smart uh, like I did this time. So um, let me know if you liked that, um, basically reading through a couple of the short essays instead of just linking to them um, only for the podcast, obviously. And then, uh, you know, that balance of how long should the podcast be versus how long should the newsletter be? Um, but yeah, thanks for the feedback. I did get a number of emails, uh, telling me that they liked one way or the other recommendations for this week. If you run Kaspersky software anywhere, you should replace it with something else. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. And the aphorism for the week, if you try, you risk failure. If you don't, you ensure it. If you try, you risk failure. And if you don't, you ensure it. That is it from me this week uh, from Maui. And I will see you next week from San Francisco. Take care. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.